Hello, dear listener. Welcome to the Incursible Party. Like we did with Chapter 1, we wanted to put together a synopsis of the story so far to provide a bit more accessibility for new listeners uh, and a good reminder for, I mean, the players and for those that have been with us for longer. So, here it is, our Chapter 2 recap, narrated by our very own wonderfully talented Emily Detmer. Leaving the undead half-orc's hand, Gozer's bead of fireball erupts, engulfing Shakara, Bryn, and Falzerin in a blast of flame. The halfling shaft fortuitously finds himself just outside the area of effect. The party launches themselves at their adversaries. The dragonborn paladin, Shakara, shouting battle commands. You take Uncle Vanette. I will take the orc. Before charging in to engage, what she assesses is the biggest threat and perhaps not quite willing to strike down her long-lost, undead uncle. Brendel conjures inky black tentacles that grasp and constrict the elven rogue Bryn and the half-elf wizard Falzerin. It's not too late to join me, Falzerin. I still have use for you. Still reeling from the reveal of his friend's deep scion nature and struggling against the effects of Brendel's spell, the wizard refuses. You are not Brendel anymore. I've always been Brendel. The fight rages on as Bryn determinedly escapes from the tentacles. Shaft! Get your butt in here! Brendel's a deep scion! The rogue advances on Brendel, bent on destroying him above all else. Arrows fly. Dragonborn breath weapons lance through the darkness, igniting the surrounding piles of desiccated bodies, until all that remains is Gozer's undead goblin companion, Thoft. His dual short swords a whirling dervish of damage as he attempts to cut his way through Shaft and Shakara. The paladin retaliates with a mighty swing of her own, but a nimble dodge and parry from Thuft sends the errant blade into Bryn, severely wounding her, adding to the many mortal wounds she has already suffered, as the elf exhales her last breath, perishing. Spurred by the loss, the remaining party members rally, ending the combat with a fireball from Falzerin and a redeeming smite from Shakara. With little time to mourn their fallen friend and concern that Bryn may be turned into an undead drowned as well, the party loads her body into Falzerin's bag of holding and attempt to retreat to the cavern they had reached by swimming to the bottom of the flooded lake. But it seems there is finally a response to the sounds of battle, as more inhabitants are moving towards them down a tunnel in this cave system. Under stealthy surveillance, Shaft recognizes the approaching tiefling from his past, who is accompanied by two robed cultists. Thinking quickly, the halfling ranger convinces Falzerin and Shakara to retreat and stay out of sight. Weapons sheathed, Shaft reveals himself to the tiefling, who sighs at his presence as she addresses him by his real name. <sighs> what are you doing here, Tobias? It's been a long time, Surma. I've come to see my brother. Where's Danzig? Of course you are. I imagine he'll want to speak to you. Come with me. Surma and the cultists turned back the way they had came, leading Shaft to the place the party had surfaced through the lake. Hearing this exchange from their hiding place, Falzern and Shakara follow quietly behind them. Chanting now echoes through the cavern, drowning out the lapping waters of the tainted lake at its edge. The two cultists accompanying Surma take their station around a six-pointed star that had been drawn on the cave's floor. In the center of the star is a kneeling figure, hands bound behind their back and hood completely covering their face. Next to them is a halfling with a dagger in his hand. Hello, brother. Go! Oh my goodness, Tobias! What a delight! 
It's been a long time. How you been? I've been looking for you. Well, if I had known that, I would have come for you sooner. Are you here to aid in the ritual? It's nearly complete. Danzig's features appear to be morphed and warped since Shaft last saw his brother. Now Danzig looks Piscean in nature, a set of gills barely visible at his collar, stretching down his neck. That day, two years ago, in the Vorgareg Mountains flashing through Shaft's mind, Danzig reaching out for his brother to save him from Surma's influence, before he and the tiefling disappeared through an amorphous, shimmering portal of blood-red water. Shaft plays along with his brother's exuberance, attempting to disrupt the ritual by performing it incorrectly, as he and Surma both plunge daggers into the kneeling figure, the cultist chanting growing louder and more fervent. The sacrifice's blood mixes with the ink of a squid placed over their face, Surma's dagger piercing the cephalophod and the sacrifice's head in one clean stab. The blood flows toward the water of its own accord, joining with the shadow of a large black form submerged within. Surma begins to chant in common as the shadows begin to move. King of the depths and all above it, devourer of the surface, you feast. Wake! Wake! Kraken! Shaft immediately throws down the ritual dagger and plunges into the water, making a break for the boat at the lake's surface. Dumbfounded, Falzerin and Shakara are taken aback for a moment, before Falzerin casts a fog cloud around the cultists, obscuring their view enough for the wizard and the paladin to hastily make their own escape to the water. Breaching the surface and making it to the small rowboat left floating in the center of the still lake, the surviving party members paddle to shore, collapsing in exhaustion. The waters begin to ripple and roil before a monstrous creature surfaces, ten writhing thick tentacles propelling a twenty-foot elongated body through the water, its oval-shaped head a maw of ripping teeth. The creature pays no attention to the beach party as it travels upriver through a narrow passage that runs through the hills toward the city of Pisces, towards the open ocean. Left in no condition to do anything about the juvenile kraken now, Falzerin reveals his connection to an aquatic race of protectors, the Tritons. If there is anybody that can help, it would be them. They must get to the island of Heracleon, where Falzerin spent his formative years as a young wizard, to contact them. This means getting to Pisces to find a boat, assuming there's a Pisces left after the Kraken reaches the city. I will ride ahead and warn the city. I will be back as soon as I am able. Shakara summons her trusty steed, Buttercup leaving Falzerin and Shaft behind to tend to the wounds as she spurs her mount forward. Buttercup moves swiftly, even through the surrounding hills and elevated terrain, arriving in Pisces before any signs of the juvenile kraken. With her head start, Shakara immediately sets to warn the city guard of the approaching creature, convincing them that she speaks the truth of its arrival. With the head of the guard, Captain Bleers, commanding his forces to take action, panic screams from the middle of the city fill the air as a thundering storm cloud appears high above the city. Lightning cracks and thunder rumbles as Shakara immediately sprints towards the screams, coming upon the juvenile kraken swimming down the river that cuts through the city. It lashes out at the closest guards within reach, its tentacles curling around them and pulling them into the water, spurts of red staining the wake caused by the kraken's movement. On the other side of the river, a human woman in gleaming plate armor raises a warhammer into the air, commanding a strike of lightning, hitting the kraken with all her might. Stay away from the water! Stay out of his reach! Heeding Shakara's advice, the remaining guards and townspeople back away from the river's edge. Unfazed by the lightning, the 
Kraken quickly continues up the river, destroying any now-abandoned vessels and mooring docks along its edge, before making it out to sea, leaving Shikara and the woman with the warhammer to survey its path of destruction. That was brave of you to try and attack it. I had to do what I had to do. The city needed me. What is your name, brave one? My name is Shikara. And what is yours? I'm Mia. Mia Brightwood. Perhaps you've heard of me. I'm kind of a big deal, but not over in these parts of Aspara. I'm quite the skilled warrior. A servant of Thor. A cleric. Finding this new companion quite interesting, Shakara convinces Mia to return with her to Shaft and Falzerin, requesting her aid in healing abilities. The Dragonborn tells a cleric of the Kraken's rise, and Mia agrees to aid the party in destroying the creature. Once reunited with Falzerin and Shaft, and introductions are made, a funeral pyre is built for Bryn, and the party finally finds a moment to mourn her loss before resting for the night. Come morning, the party travels back to Pisces, still in need of a boat to Heracleon. They find the streets deserted. Most of the Piscians are attending a town meeting in the city's docks to discuss their next course of action. Until the Kraken can be dealt with, all sea vessel traffic to and from the city has been discontinued, as declared by the mayor of Pisces. Pushing their way through the crowd, the party informs the mayor of their need to get to Heracleon. Captain Beliers, standing with her at the podium from where she addresses the crowd, leans in and whispers to the mayor, giving Shikara a respectful nod. Very well. These four need a ride. Is there anybody willing to risk the waters with that creature out there? The crowd grows silent. A solitary hand raises in the air. The two stumps from severed fingers caught in the rigging as a young deckhand reveal the man's identity before Captain Grimby Chum speaks. I be willing to take this lad to the Isle of Magic. We leave in the morn. I take today to get me boat ready. Leaving the mayor and townsfolk to the rest of their meeting, Campbell, the skilled alchemist, and Shikara's closest friend, flags them down in the crowd. Ah, Shikara! You've returned! Wunderbar! Campbell embraces the dragonborn, offering his assistance with their journey and taking them back to his shop to supply them with healing potions before they turn in for the night to be ready for the following morning's voyage. While doffing her armor, Shikara discovers a crumpled note left by Campbell, urging her to visit him at his shop that night. Curious, Shikara arrives at Campbell's. He tells her of a strange arrival at his shop door the night of the Kraken attack. A mysterious blue box with two keyholes on the front of it was left at his stoop, along with two sapphire keys. One with my name on it, and one with yours. Is that wise? We do not know where this came from. I fear that this is of great importance. Together, then. Campbell hands Shakara her key. Upon touching it, she is whisked away into a blue void, and a series of strange visions flash before her. The first, a tall, spiraled tower constructed of large bricks. The second, Falzern and Brendel embracing, as longtime friends would do. Both of their features morph and change into those of deep scions. And the last vision is Shakara's undead Uncle Vanette. Vanette opens his dragonborn mouth to release his deadly breath weapon upon his niece. But the surrounding blue void, this light, forms a protective barrier, shielding Shakara. The light changes shape again, becoming a ghostly copy of the paladin, holding a small brand in one hand. Light Shakara pounces on Vanette, seizing one of his arms and applying the brand. The apparition vanishes, leaving a fully restored Uncle Vanette, until he too vanishes. Still adrift in the blue light, with no real point of reference, 
an enormous drifting serpent twists and spirals past Shakara, turning back towards her to reveal a dragon's head upon a snake-like body. A whisper fills her mind, as if originating from right next to her ear. Dragonborn abruptly finds herself back in Campbell's shop, holding her blue key. Campbell, did you see? Dendar, the Serpent Mother. Nine, I saw nothing. But his name is unfamiliar yet. Somehow familiar. Regaling Campbell what she saw, they agreed to open the box, seeking the help that Dendar seemed to be offering. Using her key, the box clicks open, and Shakara finds a new brand with a twisting serpent with a dragon head. It glows a hot blue as Shakara picks it up, branding herself. The markings of her accomplished great deeds on one arm, the mark of Dendar now on the other. Campbell offers his own arm, and Shakara applies Dendar's mark, sealing their union to the serpent mother. The following morning, the party sets sail on the Rising Two with Captain Chum at the helm. Settle in there for the ride. Surely be a few hours to the isle. The seas are smooth for much of the trip, the coast of Heraklion less than a mile away, when a large shape passes directly beneath the rising two, easily surpassing them before surfacing 100 feet in front of Chum's ship. A long, seed-like ship rises out of the waves. Hinged at one short end, the ship splits open like a shell, revealing an inner deck lined with six cannons, their barrels glowing a fiery red. Two undead drowned blades man each of them. Behind them stands the tiefling Surma. She raises an arm, bringing it slashing down through the air towards the rising two. The cannons roar, raining fire down on the ship. Get yourself to the lifeboats. I be keeping her steady until you're safe. Chum wrestles with the ship's wheel, struggling to bring her around after taking heavy damage. Another volley of cannon shots lance through the hull, causing something below deck to ignite and erupt. The upper deck cracks and splinters, throwing those atop it overboard. Mia clutches the amulet she wears, tearing it off. Two luminous wings sprout from her back, her eyes become a solid topaz. She leaps into the air, taking flight and avoiding the effects of the blast. The ocean now littered with the splinters that were once the rising two, the party frantically attempts to avoid the cannon fire that blasts into the waves and debris around them as they search the depths for each other and the missing crew. Taking refuge under an overturned lifeboat, Shaft guides it towards the firing undead, only for it to be shredded by the cannons, narrowly avoiding the blasts himself. Mia, still aloft, soars towards the vessel, landing on the deck and putting her hammer to work and raining down lightning from her conjured storm, its black swirling clouds casting a Stygian shadow over the frantic combat. Rising out of the water, Grimby Chum slams his battle axe into the side of the attacking ship climbing aboard and joining Mia in the melee mayhem. Falzerin slings his own fire onto the deck, using his evocation expertise to shield his companions. Surma and her undead soldiers are vanquished, leaving two more decks inhibited by cultists to be cleared out. With overwhelming might, the party and Chum take the vessel, leaving a single cultist unconscious and bound for interrogation. They christen their new ship, the Rising Three. 
On the lowest deck, the party discovers a large barrel. Inside lies a submerged Danzig, his naked form encased in a translucent cocoon, his body having undergone further transformations. Is he still alive in there, Shaft? What should we do with him? I don't know. He might be. We should leave him there. If he's dead, I can give him a proper burial. It looks like his chest is moving. I don't think he's dead. I do not believe so either. He must be taken out of the barrel. Hold on a second. If he isn't dead, then taking him out could kill him. Why are you trying to kill my brother? I am not trying to kill your brother. I do not believe that leaving him in there is the best course of action. I'm not sure what's happening to him, but I believe Shaft should have a say in what happens to his brother. Shaft quickly constructs a makeshift lid for Danzig's barrel and secures it as Shakara shakes her head, moving to mid-deck. The Rising Three arrives at Port Heraklion, the doorway to the city of Heraklion, the surrounding walls standing tall, a dozen miles inland on the island. So how long is it going to take for you to talk to your Triton buddies? Well, Shaft, I know you don't like to dilly-dally, but it'll take me a couple of days to get to the meeting spot and signal for a meeting. While we're here, we can certainly make use of our time. There's a wealth of knowledge in the Heraklion Library that we could utilize. We could learn more about our foes and what we're coming up against. Stepping onto the dock, Port Heraklion is bustling with activity, ships being loaded and unloaded as deckhands are moving boxes by hand and with the aid of wooden cranes. The shrill yells of a gnome pierce the noise of the busy port. Falzern immediately recognizes Alstoff Tinnerman. He is directing dock workers as they load boxes onto a large ship. A rope snaps on one of the cranes as it hoists the crate into the air. The crate smashes to the dock, crushing one of the workers. Its contents spill out of the cracked planks, metal cogs and plates, and the long body of a lifeless mechanical cobra litter the ground. The crushed worker's exposed limbs transform and morph into that of a deep scion. Shaft immediately pulls Falzern in close. Mechanical snakes, like what the paladins of cultists use. Who can you trust here? Honestly, Shaft, I thought Brenda was the one person I could trust in Heraklion. This is very bad. That guy's arm! What the heck happened? Yeah, I think we need to be very careful what we say here. We can't trust any of these guys. Alstoff seems enraged at the broken crate, unconcerned with the death that has just occurred. The other dock workers are clearly confused at the deceased transformation. Finding a quieter place to speak, Falzern explains the dead drop process he uses to signal the Tritons, insisting that only he visits the spot where he leaves a signal to protect the Tritons. Shakara pushes for somebody to accompany him to the meeting with the Tritons, suggesting Mia be the one. Look, Shakara, I get your concern, but Falzern's always been on the up and up with me. Agreeing to this for the time being, Mia and Shakara take the captured cultists to the port authorities and continue to Heraklion's library. Falzerin sets off to leave his message for the Tritons to meet him the following day, and Shaft insists on getting a drink at the Creepy Aura, with plans to meet back at the library in the city afterwards. Before the wizard and ranger part ways, however, Shaft convinces Falzerin to accompany him in acquiring some black market magic items. Subtle inquiries with the bartender, Heth, gets them a meeting with a dwarf named Tenshi. His office is hidden away beneath the creepy aura. Passing up several items for sale, Falzern and Shaft settle upon magical tattoos to come to life when activated. Parting on good terms with the dwarf, Falzern leaves Shaft to make his way west to a shallow bay. There, he dives into the sea, swimming to a hollow growth of coral, where he upturns a specific stone buried in the sand. Hopeful that he has not missed the regular Triton patrol in the area, 
the wizard returns to shore and heads towards the library to rejoin Shakara and Mia. Meanwhile, Shaft immediately leaves the creepy aura after saying his goodbyes to Falzerin and boards the Rising Three once more. Calling for Grimby's help, the two of them move Danzig's barrel to the docks. Uh, can you give me a hand here? It's time for me to give my brother a proper burial. I'd be glad to lend you a hand there, Shaft. Say, uh, chum, out of respect for my brother here, let's just keep this uh, between you and me, okay? I be understanding that, but before ye go there, I think I should be coming clean about something. I might have got ye all wrapped up in something here. Grimby continues to explain to Shaft that he agreed to transport the cargo of the Rising Two South to Port Coltis. In exchange, the ship would be his. Look, Jem, we got your back. We're all in this together, buddy. Placating Grimby's fears of endangering the party just by being in his presence, Shaft assures the captain that they'll be back soon when they're ready to get off the island. With a smack on the back, Shaft leaves Chum to continue looking over his new ship, hiring a deckhand to help him drag Danzig's barrel to the creepy aura. The ranger strikes a deal with Tenchi, hiding Danzig under the tavern. Rendezvousing with the others at the library, the party is reunited. Frustrated after hours of researching and finding nothing of import in the numerous texts they have searched, Night quickly approaches, and Falzerin takes them all back to his home in the Evocation District, a home he is returning to for the first time in over a month since leaving Heracleon. Settling in, the four adventurers take a well-deserved night's rest. In the morning, the party spends some time in the city, visiting Alstoff Tinnerman's shop where he has many impressive works of mechanical engineering on display. Well-versed in smooth-talking, Shaft strikes up a conversation with Alstoff about a purchase easily transitioning into a pseudo-interrogation. He discovers that Alstoff is supplying the Paladins of Cultus with a variety of constructs, and that Isabella Good is on the island. She, too, has some connection to Cultus. With nothing left to extract from Tinnerman, the party travels to the Elder's Keep to speak with the five rulers of Heracleon, Gundar Baskop, Geneva Vansk, Sybil Siblance, Keek Sachs, and Alamar Zellwig, to warn them of the Kraken and possibly gain their aid in fighting the creature the party arrives at the keep, finding an inauguration ceremony going on. Seating at the table with the five elders is Isabella Good. Alamar Zelwick, the aged elf, struggles to his feet, leaning heavily on his silver, eagle-headed cane. Quiet, quiet, everybody. It is time to honor the newly appointed Elder Good. With every intention to avoid speaking to Isabella, Shaft and Falzerin slink away from the ceremony, while Mia and Shakara approach the Elder's table, catching the eye of Elder Geneva, convincing her to grant them an audience with the rest of the Elders to discuss the Kraken's appearance and the island's in secret invasion of the Deep Scions. Once fully inducted, Alamar leads the Elders, Shakara and Mia, to his study. Striking up a conversation with the women warriors, Isabella appears quite charming and is delighted to hear that Falzerin and Shaft are, in fact, somewhere in the keep. Meanwhile, Falzerin uses his magic to turn himself and Shaft invisible, allowing them to slink around the Elder's Keep. They find themselves in Alamar's private quarters, a spiral staircase leading up to the Elder's study, as a company from the inauguration arrives to discuss the Kraken. Will you stand up and fight with us? If there is a threat to us, yes, Heracleon will defend itself, if needed. 
Only to defend? So you will do nothing unless the Kraken directly attacks you? Would you have us endlessly searching the depths of the seas? Yes! Hunt this beast! It is better than simply sitting on your asses. Plumes of black-gray smoke curl out and rise from Shakara's nostrils as her voice raises. Isabella works quickly to quell the heated exchange. Now, now, Elamar. Surely we can do something. At the very least, take a vote. I implore you, do the right thing. Help us protect our people. Protect Aspara. Aid us in ridding the world of this beast before it gets any larger. The elders vote, Mia's spurring words contributing to gain their help. Alamar agrees to instruct young wizards to aid in researching the Kraken and Deep Scions alike. Departing Alamar's study, the elders return to the festivities of Isabella's inauguration celebration. The still invisible Falzerin and Shaft remain behind to search Alamar's study. They discover a hidden passageway to a secret library. Retrieving Shakara and Mia, the party cautiously explores the library narrowly avoiding the magical defenses put in place. Here they learn many things from forbidden texts not allowed in Heracleon, a two-part awakening ritual for the being Kralakina, the sylvan name that the cultists under the lake were chanting before the kraken was fully summoned, the second half torn from the tome. Mia learns of possible treachery among gods, involving the attempted usurping of Thor's power by his eldest son Talos and his wife Telena their incestuous relationship resulting in Thor's remaining children slain, forcing the Thunder God to destroy Talos and Telena. However, should this tome be reliable, it appears that Talos and Telena have had a child of their own. Falzerin reads aloud from a recovered journal, discovering Alamar's intent to become a powerful lich. My goodness, Alamar, what have you gotten yourself into? Through much trial and error, and the ingredients supplied to him by Isabella, he has perfected the elixir. The elven elder suspects that Geneva has been snooping around his office, perhaps looking for his library. The ceremony and night must be performed at once. He can no longer afford to wait for the perfect opportunity. This is very bad. We have got to stop him somehow. Sounds to me like all we need to do is get this elixir thing. A thorough search of the hidden stacks revealed a disguised panel on the stone wall. Behind it, a glass vial containing a dark green, viscous liquid. All right, we got it. Now let's get the hell out of here before Alamar comes back. Safely back on the Rising Three, the party stashes the elixir aboard the ship and once again settle in for a rest. Falzern and Shakara take this opportunity to confide in one another while the others sleep. The wizard explains his pack with Isabella Good, the iron token fused into his chest causing him pain, and that she is much more than she seems. And Shakara reveals that she too has entered an arrangement with Dendar, the Serpent Mother all of which is overheard by Shaft, who is fainting asleep, leaving Mia the only one out of the loop. Refreshed from their sleep, the party's work in Heracleon is far from over. Fearing Alamar may have access to another elixir, Shakara and Mia contact Geneva, hoping to speak to her about Alamar's elixification. They head off to meet with her at Heracleon's library. Falzern agrees to bring Shaft to the shallow bay west of the port to check that his message has been received. Once again, the wizard plunges into the water, only to find signs of a struggle. Swimming through a thick patch of seaweed, broken and bent strands forming a path to the open ocean, Falzern witnesses two deep scions treading water with an unconscious triton in their arms. 
was a blast of magic sent into the sky to signal Shaft. Valdrum pursues the Scions, activating his magical tattoo and summoning a giant shark to aid him. Rising from the dark depths, a seed-shaped shell ship appears, the glowing red muzzle of magical cannons protruding from the portholes in the vessel's side. They fire upon the wizard and his giant shark, dubbed Bitey, who makes quick work of the deep scions, tearing them to pieces and providing cover for Falzerin and Shaft to get the triton to shore where they resuscitate him. I am Slava. Your assistance is appreciated. You must be Falzerin. Your friend Karos speaks very highly of you. Yes, I am. And this is Shaft. Slava, we have much to discuss. These deep signs are only part of it. Do you perhaps know the name Kralakina? The Tritons are quite familiar with that name, and the many others Kralakina has gone by in the past. Learning of the ritual to summon him, it is clear the Kraken is a vessel, as Kralakina is imprisoned on the elemental plane of water. Placed there by Thor centuries ago, the Tritons have been charged with serving as his warden. So you can take care of this Kraken thing, right? The Tritons can handle it. Yes. I must return to my brethren and gather our forces to defeat the Kraken. And I shall send word to Keros on the Plain of Water, in the event that Kralakina attempts an escape. Returning to the water, Slava departs, leaving the wizard and the ranger to meet with Shakara and Mia at Heraklion's library. Meeting with Geneva in a quiet corner amidst the numerous shelves of books, Shakara and Mia inform her of their findings regarding Alamar. We believe that Alamar is going to attempt the ritual tonight. We need to know where he's going to be. We have no idea where the ceremony is going to take place. Or what he may use as his phylactery. I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps his hidden library you found... He couldn't possibly do it anywhere else in the keep. Outside of the city, maybe. The Elder continues to describe an isolated area far north of the city, at the very tip of the island. A path exists around the outer perimeter of the western wall. As for his phylactery, to store his soul should his body be destroyed, it must be something dear to him. The only thing that I can think of is his cane. He is never without it. Thanking Geneva for her help and discretion, Shakara and Mia find Falzerin and Shaft just outside of the library, exchanging their discovered information and deciding to travel to the secluded area in hopes of finding Alamar there. They find a natural clearing in the rocky terrain. A stone altar sits in its center. Two shield guardians stand motionless before it. Rain from the overhead storm that has been slowly forming over the past day, now a torrential downpour, hammers against the Guardian's armored bodies and empty helms held together by powerful magic. Thinking it prudent to dispose of these entities before a possible confrontation with Alamar, the party quickly dispatches the standing sentinels, crumbling them into inanimate pieces of armor, which they promptly dump over the cliff's edge into the sea hundreds of feet below them. With nothing left but to wait for Alamar, the party settles into Falzerin's magical tiny hut, keeping them dry and warm from the effects of the storm. Hours pass, and Elder Zelwick does not appear. Instead, the party is roused by the blare of an alarm coming from within the city, followed by two distinct beams of bright light that blast into the sky, forming an impassable protective dome around the city. Falzerin, what the hell is this thing? I have never seen this before, Shaft. I have no idea what it is. Mia throws her hammer at the dome to find it uselessly reflect off. Geneva. Did she send us up here to get us out of the way? 
Is there a chance they triggered a false alarm to make this dome appear? Oh, I, I suppose it's possible. That's a good thought. Why don't we go see Tenchi? He seems to be a guy that's in the know. Maybe he can get us back in the city. Completing their circumnavigation of the city, the party approaches the southeastern corner. A cacophonous boom of cannon fire quickly becomes audible. A slew of red flashes appearing in the sky against a newly formed dome. Is that from the ships? Are they firing on the city? It definitely sounds like it's under attack. This dome is like a massive tiny hut. Finding the source of the flashes, three dozen glowing red cannons are loosely lined up several hundred feet from Heraklion's main gate, their blasts slamming into the dome, attempting to breach it. A force nearly 300 strong of cultists, undead drowned, and deep scions are assembled behind the cannons. Three figures stand out among them, shouting orders at the cultist over the thundering storm. Sardo the Revenant, his spirit now inhabiting a new body. Chucky, the Zexan Barboy, clad in a set of tailor-made armor constructed of a material like coral. And Erica, the Sea Hag, missing her left arm from the previous encounter with the party. So far unnoticed by the invading forces, the party spots a group of individuals creeping along the island's coast, putting as much distance between them and the attackers. There! They appear injured! Spreading to their aid, one individual among them, Dreg Didge, tells them of the sudden appearance of strange ships destroying most of Port Heraklion, slaughtering its inhabitants and raising the dead with a strange black slime. Thank the gods the safety shell was activated. Come, I can get us inside. The safety shell? You know what this dome is? Oh yes, I designed it nearly two decades ago, with the help of Alstoff Tinnerman. Drag leads them along the eastern wall of the city, locating an illusory rock that masks a set of roughly carved stone stairs. Hundreds of steps later, the party enters a narrow tunnel, coming upon a forking path. This is not supposed to be here. I know of only one tunnel that leads back into the city. It's this way. Ignoring the second tunnel for now, Drag continues down his passageway, coming upon a metal ladder, ascending hundreds of feet above them. After a long climb, the way is blocked by a section of the safety shell. Drag uses a ring he wears to create a five-foot opening through the safety shell, allowing them to pass into the city, surfacing just outside the Elder's Keep. With a snap of his fingers, Drag's ring reappears on his finger, closing the created opening. Now that they're inside the city, the party can clearly see the origin of the beams of light that form the dome, one from the keep itself and the other from the library, Heracleon's knowledge center. These beams now flicker, their constant flow being interrupted. Something is wrong. We must get to the anchor points. If they fail, so does the safety shell. I will tend to the knowledge center. You must check on the keep's anchor. You'll find it at its highest point. You must protect those casting the ritual. It has to be maintained. Leaving Drag and charging into the Elder's Keep, the party ascends. The spiral staircases end leading to a long rectangular room. In the center stands a seven-foot-tall metallic column compromised of five distinct sections that are rotating independently of one another. Five wizards encircle the column, chanting and performing the somatic components for the ritual that powers the anchor point. Four snarling deep scions pounce on them, tearing and biting into them with the razor claws and gnashing maws. Eight flame! Shakara spurs into action, blasting two of the scions with her fiery breath weapon. The rest of the party engages with a battering of magic and weapons, doing their best to protect the ritual casters. 
as Geneva Vance enters the room, a condescending smile stretching across her face. Fucking Geneva. Her elven features morph and twist. Long, delicate fins sprout from her forearms, hair clumping together and lengthening into tentacles. Geneva's smile becoming a ring of teeth as bisected lip flaps snarl at the party. The transformation to her deep scion form, complete. Their adversaries slay four of the five ritual casters before the party can defeat them, Mia putting an end to Geneva with her mighty hammer. Shaft searches her body and finds a folded piece of paper, a page torn from a book, the second half of the ritual to summon Kralikina. It speaks of a rebirthing chamber and a second vessel for the matron. With only one caster, this anchor's beam of light is weak and waning. Surveying the city's landscape from the chamber's open window, the second beam from the knowledge center flickers before completely extinguishing. Rain pelts the city once more, the safety shell failing to remain solid. We have to get to the library! Dreg could need our help! The sound of battle carries on the winds of the storm. Cannon fire rains upon the city, its front gates blasted inward, the invading force able to freely pass through the failing dome. Cultists and cannons are met with blasts of magic from the Heraclonians defending their city. We've got to get the safety shell back up so we can stop this entire army from getting in. Inside the Knowledge Center, the librarian, Janella, is frantically handing out quivers filled with offensive scrolls to any willing to take them, directing them to the front line. She sends the party to the fifth floor, where they enter the small solarium, four walls and a roof of glass, with a second, identical anchor. Drag has his hands out in front of him, maintaining an invisible wall of force, creating a barrier against attacking deep scions. Behind him, eight more ritual casters cower in a corner of the room, Elder Keek doing what he can to defend them against even more deep scion attackers. Seeing help has arrived, Drag drops his barrier and shifts his focus to aiding Keek. The party dispatches this group of shapeshifters, losing Elder Keek in the process, but securing the second anchor. What is happening in the keep? Is the anchor there operational? Distraught over the losses suffered in the keep, Drag gathers three of the casters to teleport back there. We'll strengthen the beams, but we'll need time for the safety shell to fully solidify again. Alright, let's go kill some cultists then. With a brief nod and an incantation, Drag and the casters disappear. Formulating a plan of attack from their vantage point above the ceaseless battle below, the party witnesses the attacker's numbers swelling with every death as more black slime is sprayed on the dead, creating more drowned soldiers to fight their way into the city. Flanking the front line, the party makes precision attacks on those spraying the resurrecting liquid, destroying their supplies of the substance. The liberation of two blasting cannons begins to turn the tide as the party creates a break in the front line for Heraclonian forces to advance. High above, swooping through the passable dome, Tenji and Hef ride a giant vulture, one of the dwarf's magical tattoos. They descend upon the attackers, adding to the barrage that is driving them back. The fight is long and arduous, handfuls of tacking cultists fleeing through the safety shell before it fully solidifies. Those blocked from escape are cornered and defeated. With the city in relative safety once more, the party returns to keep to rest, exhausted and bloody. Only to learn that Geneva slaughtered Sybil and Gundar before the attack on the anchor points leaving Alamar and Isabella the only elders unaccounted for. With the new day comes a new plan, speaking with Drag in the Keep. Look, we know Erica's the leader here. 
All we have to do is sneak into the camp, kill her, and I'm betting the rest of them will just leave. I agree. If you lop off the head, the body will wither. They will not know what to do. Well, I I can make some of us invisible, but, but not all of us. I can aid with that as well. You four have done so much for the city already. I will not let you do more alone. We do need your ring to get us through the dome. Five some exits to keep, fighting the hidden ladder that leads back to the forking path they passed the previous night. Cautious curiosity calls to them as they explore this newly formed passage, finding themselves in a large cave open to the ocean, a massive pentagonal structure amidst a soft yellow glow filled with swirling rainbow liquid. Encased within, swims a juvenile kraken. This structure, it resembles the safety shell's composition. Who could have built this? Mayhaps Erica? This must be the rebirthing chamber the ritual speaks of. How do we open it? Is it safe to leave the kraken in there? And does anyone else think that it looks a bit bigger than before? Dreg, can your ring open this too like it opens the safety shell? Mia's theory proves correct, as Dreg applies the ring to the structure and performs his chant, a hole large enough for a humanoid to climb through opens. The rainbow liquid within pours out. The Kraken is quick to act, darting to the opening and attempting to wrap a tentacle around Dreg. The wizard narrowly avoids the creature's grasp before recalling the ring and closing the opening. Let's deal with one thing at a time here. Erica needs to die. Concerned about getting past the remaining forces outside the city, Dreg teleports them to Port Heracleon where they witness the devastation of the initial attack. Burned out remnants of the port's buildings barely left standing, including the creepy aura. Dock ships were obliterated by cannon fire. The Rising Three, however, is nowhere in sight. Traveling through the small mountain range that runs parallel to the road leading to Heraklion City, the party surveys the enemy encampment, locating Erica's tent. Inside, they find Danzig's barrel, along with a collection of trinkets that may be useful in the future. Danzig is now completely unrecognizable. His halfling body is stretched and grown, developing feminine features. Shaft. Danzig is the matron's vessel. He must be destroyed. Well, he isn't my brother anymore. I'll take care of him. Pulling Danzig out of the barrel, Shaft sinks a dagger into his heart, killing his brother, and once again, loading a body into Falzrin's bag of holding. Their presence causing alarm in the camp, the party escapes Erica's tent, making it back to the cluster of mountains. Erica, Sardo, and Chucky are close behind, catching up to them among the peaks. The Revenant's magic deals heavy damage before Dreg protects the party in a globe of invulnerability, forcing the cultist leaders to engage in melee combat. Despite Mia wielding the power of the storm, battling Erica with lightning strikes, the party is in trouble. The persistent storm above momentarily parts, radiant sunlight breaking through as four alabaster pegasi descend to the party, their saddles emblazoned with the symbol of Thor. Breaking for their gifted mounts, the high ground advantage allows the party to vanquish Erica, Sardo, and Chucky. With barely a second to recover, Shakara and Falzerin spot movement on the other side of the city road. Investigating with Dreg, they find Alamar with two young apprentice wizards and two armed swashbucklers. Alamar, where have you been? Do you know what's happening in the city? I have no use for you anymore. I will be taking back 
My city. Alamar motions to his companions to continue forward, turning his back to them. Alamar, please. We must work together. How do we know that this is truly Alamar? We have been deceived before. Prove to us it is really you. And how would I prove that to those I barely know? I would ask, perhaps you're missing something from your hidden library? Ah, I suspected that may have been your doing. It was indeed missing, but has now been found. Have you heard Grimby? Is he alive? Smoke curls from Shakara's fuming nostrils. The captain is alive, yes. His ship, I'm afraid, in far worse shape than he. He has simply been detained so I could get what was mine. Yes, that sounds quite like your ways, Alamar. Now that Dreg has returned, he and I can reinforce the city and work to safeguard it. Agreeing to transport Alamar and his companions to the tunnels where they can enter the city, the elder wizard stumbles climbing onto a pegasi saddle, causing his elixir vial to fall from his person. Retrieving it, Shakara chooses to smash the vial, the green elixir washing away in the storm's rain. Enraged, Alamar attacks the trio, the swashbucklers drawing their weapons to aid him. The apprentice wizards cower and take cover, watching Shakara engage the swashbucklers while Falzerin, Drag, and Alamar sling magic missiles and gravity sinkholes at one another, until Alamar and one swashbuckler take their last breath. The remaining foe surrenders, seeing Alamar fall. Folding to Shakara's interrogation, he tells them about boarding the Rising Three with Alamar, Grimby managing to usher them on board before being forced to submerge and flee the attacking force. But the Rising Three was found and attacked in the water, taking critical damage. The captain was able to steer the vessel to shore, saving them from death at sea. Instructing the apprentice wizards to hide, Balzerin, Shakara, and Dreg rejoin Mia and Shaft and fly to the beach to Rising Three in search of Grimby. Inside, they find a feeble-minded chum, Alamar having reduced him to a drooling idiot, barely aware of his surroundings. Unable to cure him until Mia can rest and regain her clerical strength, the party returns to the city through the tunnels in search of a place to safely pass the approaching night. Finding the portcullis entrance to the Elder's Keep closed, the Knowledge Center is their next stop to find refuge. The short walk there is quiet, the streets seem deserted. Inside the library, they find Janella at the front desk, flanked by two mechanical men. She gives the party a terse greeting, with a subtle head nod to the constructs. Two more appear from the shelves, drawn by the party's arrival. Say, uh, you know that book I was asking you about earlier? You know, the one in the back? Can, can you take me back and show me? Shaft immediately picks up on Janelle's cues, stealing a chance to speak to her. Unabated by the Elder Council, Isabella has enacted martial law and putting a curfew on the city. For the safety of all Heraclonians, she claims. Janella tells Shaft that the party can rest at her home and that she will join them as soon as she can. You know what? I don't think I need that book after all. Thanks for your help, baby. Leaving the Knowledge Center, the mechanical men begin to follow the party through the streets of Heraklion, 
more joining at every street until nearly a dozen are tailing them. Quickening their pace, they reach Janella's home and settle in for the night, constructs remaining stationary outside the house. I suspect that Isabella knows we are back in the city. She may want to speak with us. I'm betting she knows a lot more than that. Shaft pokes Falzerin's chest, motioning to his gift from Isabella. In desperate need of a rest, the party settles in for the night, maintaining their usual watch order to keep an eye on the mechanical men's activities. Four hours pass, and the entire party is awoken by a low rumbling. Dishes rattle in their cupboards as the shaking becomes intermittent, but does not cease. Outside, the mechanical men react, abruptly running down the road single file towards the center of the city. With arrest impossible, the party returns to the knowledge center, climbing to the anchor room at the top of the building. From here, they can see the cultist forces are no longer outside the city walls. They return to their shell ships, bombarding the island's foundation, attempting to sink it. Leaving Grimby in Janella's care, the party visits the keep. The portcullis raised this time as Isabella is expecting them. For Shaft and Falzerin, the scene in the keep is all too familiar. Ten wooden tables are arranged in the keep's great hall, with stitched together flesh golems laying atop them, motionless. Their mismatched parts connected by thick black thread, yet to be raised. Isabella greets the party, quickly dismissing three darkly clad humans. So glad you've come. Tell me, I assume you all have interests in keeping this island from sinking? Of course, this is my home. Eldergood explains that she has a plan to rid the island of the attacking cultists once and for all. All the party needs to do is gain access to one of the vessels and drop off a triangular portal stone. Once activated, Isabella will send her flesh golems through to kill the crews, and in return, she will send the party back to the mainland. That's it? Uh, just to be clear here, we drop off this stone, and you send us home. Oh yes, quite simple, really. We can save the city. That's all I genuinely want. Oh, Echo... Tulsa! Tulsa! The three humans re-enter the Great Hall, each of them carrying a small pyramid-shaped item. Echol hands this to Shaft before stepping to Isabella and offering himself as her sacrifice. Draining his life force and filling her flesh golems with it, they begin to twitch and spasm, coming to life. You've killed him! He knew what he was signing up for. Now, you will notice there are only three portal stones and... Many more ships. You simply need to buy time for Alstoff to deactivate the safety shell. He assures me he can turn it into a weapon. He is quite handy. And what would you use this weapon for? You say you want to protect the city. Would you use it against Kralikina? Isabella gives the wizard a smile. Oh my. Would Miss Brightwood want me to use my weapon? Against her own father. One you may know by the another name. Talos, perhaps? I've had enough of these abominations. Mia turns the storm out of the keep, shocked anger across her face. Oh, just one more thing. Bowser, my dear. I think I've had enough of your service. While you did make a wonderful plaything, I believe... It is Shakara I should have been courting. I have an allegiance with one already. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm well aware of your connection to Tendar. 
I do not wish for another relationship. But you are mistaken, Shakara. You are already in this relationship. Do you truly believe that a great primordial being, such as the Serpent Mother, would contact someone like you directly? In fact, it's all a being of my abilities can do to attract such power. I assure you, it is I that have bestowed you with the blessing of Denda. Yet again, smoke curls from Shakara's nostrils. I believe we have some boats to destroy. Finally, let's go. The party storms out of the keep, accompanied by Hulsa and Tulsa. Summoning a giant crab each, they patiently wait at the city's walls. The anchor beams begin to flicker and wink out, the safety shell being lowered, allowing their crustaceous mouse to climb the walls and drop into the ocean to assault their own ships. Summoning their pegasi, now free to fly directly into the city, the party mounts up. Using what they learn from infiltrating the encampment, Greg once again turns himself, Shaft, and their shared pegasus invisible, allowing him to leap onto the deck of a shell-like ship, the boom of cannon fire aiding in masking his movements. Planting and activating the portal stone, Shaft sprints for the pegasus as flesh golems flood the upper deck, engaging the surprise cultist. Flying to safety, Shaft and Dreg rejoin the others above the Salvo cannon fire, chaos breaking out across the decks of many of the vessels. Alright, that's done. Now let's get out of here. Wait, Shaft, I see the Tritons. Falls are in motions towards two approaching ships, shaped like manta rays, nearly 50 feet across from pectoral fin to pectoral fin. They speed through the water, building up a ball of energy between cephalic fins before veering away from the cultist shell ships moments before impact, turning the energy into projectiles that smash into the cultist vessels. The shell ships attempt to maneuver away from the tritons, but they take chase, continuing to land projectiles, shearing off sections of hull. In a matter of minutes, the oceans are clear of cultists, Slava surfacing his ship to speak to the party. Informing their triton contact that they have found the kraken, they lead Slava to the cave with a rebirthing chamber. The rest of the Triton forces are still hours away. He and his companions forged ahead, scouting their path. Desperate to finish the rest that was interrupted by the cultist's bombardment, the party decides to wait for the arrival of the rest of the Tritons and rest in the cave. Throughout their watches, each of the party members witness a kraken consuming the rainbow liquid that fills the pentagonal structure, growing to fill the displaced substance within. On Mia's watch, she is visited by a celestial guide Herafina. Time seems to stand still as she greets the cleric, their surroundings frozen. She stresses the importance of destroying Kralikina's vessel, that she has the key to do so, a small silver disc the party found in Erica's tent. <laughs> My daughter! How you've grown since I've seen you last, since you were stolen from me by my father. Kraken breaks free of the stasis imposed by Herafina's visit. Its eyes turn to solid topaz, matching Mia's, their family likeness. Herafina speaks the truth. You do need to use the disc, but you must use it to aid me, daughter. Help me inhabit this vessel. Reunite us after all these years. I was raised in Barrack by loving parents. You are not my father. I would never have abandoned you like this. Thor is to blame for our separation. 
Thor is who I worship and who I serve. You have been brainwashed, my child. Clearly determined to act against her biological father, Mia dismisses what Kralikina has to say, the temporary influence he can impart over the Kraken falters. Topaz's eyes returning to black, the bobbing Kraken frozen in time once more. Herafina begs Mia to use a disc against the Kraken, disappearing in a ball of light. Time resumes, and Mia's watch ends. Fully rested now, Mia explains that she must use the disc to defeat the Kraken. It must be wielded by her hand. This thing is on a timer. It's like Drake's dome thing. It has a power source, and I bet it's the liquid that it keeps drinking. Once it's gone, no more shell. So either we open it now, or the Kraken keeps growing until it breaks it. The party agrees to open the pentagonal structure once again, tying a rope around Drag to pull him away from the Kraken, with Mia and Shikara poised on either side of the opening, ready to strike. Slava leaves to meet the arriving fleet of Triton ships to form a net around the cave. Should the Kraken escape, it would be met with all their might. Once the opening is created, the Kraken, now nearly twice as large as it was the first time Drag used his ring, grabs the sides of it with its tentacles, pulling at it. Rainbow-colored fluid spilling onto the cave's floor until the pentagonal structure shatters under the Kraken's exerted pressure, freeing the creature. Mia immediately rushes in, wielding the disc, with Shakara landing smites, Shaft and Falzerin barrage the beast with arrows and magic. The Kraken lashes out with its tentacles, attempting to grasp and constrict those it can reach. Electricity surges through it, zapping everything within 60 feet of the beast. Mia sprouts her celestial wings, taking flight above the affecting waters. Swooping in with the disc again, landing a direct hit on the Kraken's body, lightning surges through the disc into the monstrous creature. Mia channels her power through it, delivering a devastating blow. The disc crumples in her hand, but the Kraken still lives. It smashes Mia with a tentacle, wrapping her up and pulling her towards its maw. One clean snap of its jaws and the cleric is swallowed whole. The rest of the party keeps up their attacks, Shakara slicing off any tentacle that gets near her, Shaft lighting his arrows on fire and landing hit after hit. Until the Kraken's belly rapidly distends, Mia blasting it from within, sending a thunder wave booming through it, freeing herself of its wretched insides. Chest heaving from the intense battle, the party barely has a moment to recover before a blinding blast of light flashes from outside the cave. Seconds later, a blast of wind and a wave roll into the cave. No. He's done it. Elstoff has actually done it. He's made Isabella her weapon. Drag is despondent at his creation being turned into something that can wreak such destruction. But the cultish ships are gone. That means she must be firing on the Tritons. Another blast and shockwave from out at sea. Then nothing. The Tritons have retreated outside the weapon's range. It's about time we get out of here. Isabella needs to hold up her end of the bargain. Returning to the keep, Isabella's Frankensteinian experiments have been cleaned up, returning the Great Hall to normal. I see you were successful. I knew you could do it. Are you ready for your reward? I am a woman of my word. Yeah, but look, Izzy. You don't have any use for Falzer in here. Why not take this thing off his chest? Yes, free Falzer from your pact, and I will talk about joining you. Oh my, this is all quite exciting. Come, come, Falzer. 
We've had so much fun together, but all good things must come to an end. Falzarin steps forward, Shakara right at his side. The wizard pulls at the collar of his robe to expose his chest. Isabella grasps the embedded iron token in her fingertips and begins to pull, separating it from the wizard's flesh. Three stretched tendrils still attached to Falzarin's body. As Isabella proceeds to cut these tendrils, Shaft leans in to whisper to Drag. As soon as this thing's off of him, you get us out of here. You can teleport us, right? All of us but Shakara. I, I can, yes, but we, we cannot leave Shakara behind, Shaft. She'll be fine. Serve our ally on the inside to keep an eye on Izzy here. Trust me. The snapping tendrils rack Falzern's body with intense pain, causing him to lose consciousness. Mia and Shakara heal him up during the process, barely keeping him alive. Well, that was unpleasant, wasn't it? <laughs> but still a little fun. Oh, I'm done with him now. You're free to do what you will. Sarda the Revenant enters the Great Hall, a spirit now inhabiting Alamar Zelwick's body. He charges towards the injured Falzerin. I think we're ready to get out of here now. Right, Dreg? Dreg utters a short incantation, and the party disappears from the Great Hall, leaving Shakara behind with Elder Isabella Good. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to Chapter 2 Recap. You know, the, these things are always a ton of work from all of us, you know, uh, from writing the script, and thank God Emily agreed to narrate this one. Uh, and you know, everybody re-recording their lines, because a lot of the lines I pull from... Our episodes, and they're actually direct quotes from the episodes that kind of portray some of the events that, that happened throughout the recap. And I just, they're a lot of work, but I also think that they're also a lot of fun for all of us to put together. And I know I had a lot of fun uh, piecing everyone's dialogue together and arranging it to, to, to some semblance of an actual story. Uh, maybe taking a few narrative leaps here and there. Of course, throughout the actual episodes, there's just so many details of play that. We can't possibly fit into a, a recap and have it be a proper, like, consumable length that, that again, is supposed to <laughs> it's supposed to be a nice getting-in point for newer listeners. As we, as we do put out a lot of content, and we want to keep putting out the content that we do. We want to keep the, keep the quality levels uh, as high, if not higher. Of course, we're always striving for, for bigger and better things. But as we move into Chapter 3, I really, really do think it will be the final chapter for this campaign. I think if it if it goes on any longer than that, then it might feel like it's getting a little long in the tooth. I, I'm sure, I, I don't want to speak for the players, but I don't, I don't think that any of us are actually feeling that way. Uh, I hope you as, uh, if you are a long-time listener, you don't feel that way either. But we're all really excited to kick off Chapter 3 here. If you are listening to this shortly after its release, we are doing a huge giveaway bonanza just on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter, The Encouragable Party. Uh, TheEncouragableParty.com is our website. It'll have all of our social links to Facebook, Instagram, uh, the episode show notes. There's a ton of uh, maps on there that John does a lot of a lot of work into to putting together. Uh, NPC information for those that may be listening to the recaps for the first time and might want uh, maybe a little more history to glean into on some of our past non-playable characters. 
And we do, of course, have a Patreon, as many people do. Uh, those that already support us, thank you so much for it. And those that are thinking about it, well, hey, that's a great first step. Thank you very much for listening. Happy adventuring.